All right, we are picking up at Acts uh, chapter 6, verse 1. We finished chapter 5, and uh, now we're going to ask the Lord's blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, we do ask you, as always, as we open the scriptures, that your spirit, who's present among us, would open our hearts, our understanding, our eyes to see spiritual things, truths that are spiritually discerned. We need the help of the Spirit to understand them. And so, Lord, it's just a a little paragraph of Scripture, but it's got a lot of things in there, valuable insights, and we want to grasp them. We want to understand them. We want to put them into practice so that we can be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you've seen, no doubt, that show, Undercover Boss, uh, the series where the high-ranking execs uh, disguise themselves as entry-level employees uh, in their own companies. And they spend about, what is it, probably two weeks working their way through various areas of the company's operations where they gain valuable insights, you know, they appreciate all the hard work and all the different employees that come together to make that company profitable. Well, what's amusing, of course, is they may be good execs, but they're lousy in other positions, usually. And so, uh, for example, I remember one funny occasion. One exec was placed in mass production, the assembly line, the packaging. Maybe you saw that episode and you already know what's coming. You know, of course, he's being trained by the uh, packaging ninja, you know, who takes the boxes, fly at him, and he's like, (laughs) you know, and, 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 and it's timed, you know. You have to do the whole thing, get the box assembled, put the part in there, and actually assemble that box and put the, the lid on it and the tape in 3.2 seconds, right? Well, like, that's going to happen with this poor admin guy, you know? And so, you know, it's a nightmare, of course. Things are backing up in the conveyor belt, you know, and people are getting frustrated. It's the same outcome, of course, with anything computerized. Computerized equipment or operating or, or babies crying, their <laughs> nursery care, things like that. Uh, (laughs) Maintaining the equipment is always uh, an issue. Admin execs are good at what they do, and they're certainly not above and beyond helping in various parts of the operations, right? It's not a question of personal worth, right? Uh, Because if the conveyor belt stops, production stops, and the company's Profits plummet, right? So uh, it is all about really um, fit, the part that we all play in a company or an organization. Natural abilities, training, personality, personal goals, all, all play a part of that. And it's always a big relief at the end where there's resolve, where the admin is adminning and the cooks are cooking and the maintenance is maintaining. It's just a sigh of relief. Well, there's going to be a big sigh of relief in our passage this morning as the pastors of a large church are sidetracked into roles where they really don't belong. It's not beneath them. It's just not where they shine. It's not where they're supposed to be. And as a result, the whole organization, if you will, uh, really is 
hindered. And so uh, they will get back to the business of pastoring and others are raised up for these important roles uh, in the organization, roles for which they are uniquely gifted and fitted. Verse one, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12, the apostles, gathered all the disciples together and said, it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And we're going to pause there and reflect on this passage. Uh, the cause of phenomenal growth, we've seen this church growing. One sermon yielded 2,000 converts. Another sermon, the word of God being rightly divided, yielded another 3,000. Now there are thousands of people. Phenomenal growth the grace of God, and as that ministry of presenting the word of God diminished, a problem came in the church, and that problem was growth-related because the pastors were spreading themselves too thin, and the right people weren't in the right positions. And so we see that that problem is gonna get addressed and, and when everybody is serving where they best fit, you'll notice in the end of the passage that the rapid growth continued again, picked right back up. And so there's a lot in this passage. There's just a, a three ideas that we're gonna look at this morning. First of all, the church gets organized. Second of all, the church has a problem. Most churches do. And number three, the church finds a solution. So let's start with the church getting organized. Now, before we get to the actual problem with the widows and the uh, potential church split, which was happening there, uh, I'd like you to see that right before our very eyes, the church, the early church, our model, our biblical model for what we do and who we are is becoming organized. They, they start with 120, and then there's this explosion, explosion of born-again Christians everywhere. Everybody's getting baptized, and these huge long lines, and there's all this joy and happiness and love, but that's not all. It's time, suddenly, that we see organization taking shape and form, and now, suddenly, there's time for distinguishing roles and ministerial priorities and gifts and callings to be recognized and directed. And now we're gonna see church government 
happening because what you see there is a church problem, church leaders, church problem is addressed by the church leaders who delegate to another group who find the right guys, have qualifications and policies in check. They have to be evaluated. They meet those evaluations. Then they're presented before the assembly and they lay hands on them and commit them to their task. There wasn't just a lot of uh, people just ebbing and flowing and, 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 and not knowing where they fit. There was structure. There was organization. So that's our first point, to see how the church right before our very eyes is becoming an organism, really, or an organization. Now, already there's a lot of order and routine that we've already seen in these first few chapters. Uh, they're devoted to the apostles' teaching. So there's teaching going out, and there's a direct correlation to that teaching, to the growth. There's financing of need in the congregation. So monies are being brought, and offerings are being brought, and as the word said, laid at the apostles' feet three times, mentioned that the finances were entrusted over to the elders for them to manage and to disperse accordingly. Now they were meeting in corporately in a big building. Uh, they were also meeting in their homes, having home fellowship groups where meals were prepared and, so, and, and communion was celebrated. They had prayer meetings and worship and hymns. Now, if you think any of that went on without structure, routine, leadership, organization, then you're not thinking correctly because that, my friends, what I just talked about is a lot of work. It's a lot of structure. There's a, there's a lot of protocols and policies and all of these things that we don't really uh, understand until we stop to think about how it's getting done. So my first point is as the church grows, so does the need for organizational uh, aspects, distinct positions of leadership. So as the church grows, needs become available or uh, we become aware of them, ministries spring up, and uh, uh, policies are put in place, evaluation for such roles, clear-cut job descriptions and expectations. If you wanted to help in the kitchen, feeding some hungry grandmas who are in need, you had to be qualified. Yeah, three things in this passage. Oh, I, I just want to help in the kitchen. Oh, no, okay, so you need to be have a good reputation, we need to know you, we're gonna talk about these things, but we also need you to be full of the Holy Spirit and we'll have to evaluate you for that. How would we know if you're full of the Holy Spirit if we didn't look at your life? And also you have to be full of wisdom. I just wanna help in the kitchen. Well, if you're gonna help in the, in the kitchen and represent Jesus Christ and be an extension of our ministry to which he has committed us to, you will meet these three qualifications. And in 20 years, 1 Timothy 3, the qualifications will broaden and they will become more detailed. What's interesting to me is that policies not only are started here for those who want to serve, but there will be policies for who qualify to be served. Who qualifies to be in biblical need? Now, apparently, it started off easy enough when the church was smaller, and there's still thousands of people. But as the church grows in 1 Timothy, uh, the pastoral epistles, we find out that Paul starts talking under the guidance of the Holy Spirit about how to qualify people for ongoing care from the church. There's policies in place. 
Uh, number one, the Holy Spirit says, you must discern who's truly needy from who is not, 1 Timothy 5.3. If a person can work and support themselves, they are not truly needy. They must provide for their own needs. 2 Thessalonians 3.10, 1 Timothy 5.8, 1 Thessalonians 4.11. If family can support, so I'm just giving you examples of policies in place to, 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 to determine whether or not a widow or anybody who is needing assistance from the church can qualify policies. Not just going with a flow or prompting by love and all of that. There are policies given in the word of God. If a family can support a needy person, the church should be relieved of that support. 1 Timothy 5.3. Those who are supported by the church must make some return. 1 Timothy 5.10. It is right for the church to consider moral conduct before giving support. 1 Timothy 5. 9 through 13. Now, these developed in time because, quite frankly, there were probably abuses. You know, there was clothing ministries and food ministry and also money allotment given out. And so the Holy Spirit gives the church, here are some guidelines. Here are some policies, if you want to call them that. The church is getting organized. Can I just read just a, a little bit of, in time, this is what widows were expected if they were truly widows. A widow who is put on the list for support must be a woman who is at least 60 years old hmm, and faithful to her husband. She must be well-respected by everyone because of the good she has done. Has she brought up children well? Has she been kind to strangers or served other believers humbly? Has she helped those who are in trouble? Has she always been ready to do good? This is the word of God, not Paul's opinion. The Holy Spirit breathed through godly men who penned God's word from heaven. And so we see the church is organizing. It's just not a not haphazard thing. It has guidelines. Now, the word organized is sort of a bad word when you put it with religion. Um, uh, I just heard this. I was in a thrift shop, uh, not on my own accord, <laughs> but with my wife, who <laughs> loves to go, uh, do you call it thrifting? I don't know. Uh, she was being thrifty. <laughs> and uh, now I have to admit something to you. I like it too. All right. <laughs> I found some really cool deals. <laughs> I got a bird cage for my office. <laughs> now I got I got a couple birds. <laughs> anyway, I digress. Um, <laughs> I don't know how it happened, but I started to bring up the Lord in a conversation with somebody. It happens from time to time, and this guy goes, oh, I'm not into organized religion. And you know what I said, right? I said, so you like it unorganized, right? <laughs> hey, you're into disorder, right? I'm sorry. I, I try. I try to watch my attitude, you know, and I watch it. <laughs> I watch it happening. <laughs> Now, now, you may not like your religion organized, sir, but God does. Look at the universe for one thing. This is an ordered God. In fact, it says God is a God of order. He created in order. Everything has structure. And so, well, you know, I'm going to piggyback this with a conversation I had with two young men who had an open Bible at uh, Starbucks. It's their fault, first of all, for having, for having an open Bible. 
because the open Bible was there. And that, to me, is a neon sign, talk to me. Right. <laughs> so I did. And I went over and I said, hey, guys, what's up? You guys saved? Yeah, we're saved. What church you go to? We don't go to church. Oh, you don't? Yeah, we're not into organized religion. And I said, really? Can I sit down for a minute? <laughs> and they said, yes. <laughs> now, I remained undercover for the whole time. And I just wanted, I just wanted to talk to them. What am I going to say? I'm a pastor of the church that you think is unbiblical, right? So, so we started talking. I said, fellas, can you, can you give me an example? They said, we don't, everybody's equal. We don't like the authority. We don't like the structure. We don't like this and we don't like that. So I said, so show me one place in the whole world and you get to roam the whole universe and I don't care where you start. Show me one place that there's no structure and no delegated authority and submission. Show me just one place. Let's start here. I'll give you an example, Starbucks. If I stood up and I started, you know, acting like a bird. Sorry, birds are on my mind right now. <laughs> uh, uh, a girl who's 18 would have authority over me and she would come over to me and she'd say, sir, you need to stop tweeting right now because you're upsetting the customers, all right? So I would have to come under an 18-year-old girl, all right? I would have to submit to her because she has... God-given authority to tell me you must not act like a bird in public. <laughs> so I said, let's just name some places, name some places. The hospital, you like it organized there? Is there flow of authority there? Yeah. Your doctor, yeah. Your, your, your dentist, how about your school? Organized, flow of authority there? How about your family, sir? Is there a flow of authority and responsibility? Yes, mutual submission, but is there leadership roles? Just go anywhere. Just tell me anything when you're on vacation. You know, go ahead and say, when I'm in the middle of Death Valley, sir, a park ranger will find you. <laughs> and he will ask you, did you pay your seven bucks at the gate? All right, there is no place you can go. You have to come under. There's delegated authority, and all authority comes from God. Romans 13.1. And so I get it. It's okay to have delegated authority and organization and structure everywhere in the world except the one place with eternal consequences, the church of the living God. That's the one place God would say, okay, no boundaries, no policies, just go with the flow. I don't think so. <laughs> I really don't think so. And so, you know, the conversation, you know, I could tell it was over a long time before I stopped talking. <laughs> but, you know, I, I thought it was kind of warm. It was a warm conversation, I thought. I, I have a... I did. I thought, I, from my point of view, I guess, right? Here's a quote that says it really nicely, then we'll move on. While the local church takes its shape in a secular world with form and structure... The life within her comes from God. Yes, in some senses, it's an organization, just as the early church in Jerusalem was. There were leaders with salaries, rented facilities, financial matters, positions, policies, personnel, core values, mission statements, and the like. But look closer. There's a spiritual entity and supernatural life that pulses within. Lives were being transformed. Now, angels manifest themselves in structured forms like men. 
but how much more resides within. God appeared in the form of a human being, a man who worked a job, made tables, sold them, paid his bills, paid taxes. God living and breathing and working within the confines of human culture and society, that's the paradox of the local church, the forms and the structure of the world, the life of God within. Amen? I thought, I like that guy. I like that quote. So, you know, I I did say, before we move on from my little bunny trail, all right, we are going to get to the passage. I did say to them, you meet in a building, right? We do. You have conversations together. We do. Is there a dominant personality that leads the group? Usually when you have no leader, you do have a leader. It's just the strongest personality. Um, Do you have times to start and stop? Do you have books you're reading about the movement that speak at conferences? Those would be your leaders. So you have a building, you have a start and stop time. Uh, Do you have an idea of who you are and who you're not? Like, this is what we believe is biblical, this is what we don't believe. Yes, we do. So that's called your statement of faith or your bylaws. So I said, young men, you're more organized than you'd like to think. You really are. And so with that, I offered to pay for their lattes, but uh, it was too late. (laughs) Uh, Okay, the church gets organized. You see it happening. They're gonna have deacons now. They're gonna have deacons. The church has a problem, so we're at point two already, all right? So here's what's going on. As the disciples were increasing, and with any church growth, there's going to be growth-related problems. They're not bad. They're growth-related, and if you address them correctly, they lead to more growth, and so that's what's happening here. A growing church, we're a growing church, you know what, it's not, church growth isn't the panacea. It's not the cure-all. You know, I'm around pastors a lot, as you can imagine, and I sit and talk with them, and I was speaking to one who was on my vacation. I just met a pastor, and he said, oh, I wish our church would grow. We're about 100 people. Oh, just, you know, 125 people are just, I just stuck there. It's just like, and I was having fond memories of when the church was 125 people. I was thinking of the times we would invite people to church over for dinner, and the whole church came. <laughs> the whole church could come for lunch. Do you know that we had a Memorial Day picnic for three years at our house for the whole church? The whole church came. There was plenty of room. And the yard was negligible, hardly any. And so I was thinking about the rent of the facility back at 100 people, 500 bucks. I was thinking, sir, be be careful what you wish for. (laughs) I I mean, seriously, with the increase of people uh, comes the increase of problems because with people come, uh, I didn't say it. (laughs) If you guys think so, all right. So we got God's adding, God does math. God likes math. Uh, There are certain math problems that he doesn't do, but he does addition, Acts 2, he adds to the church. He does multiplication, that's the word in the Greek for this chapter. Uh, He does subtraction, Uh, Acts chapter five, it was minus two, (laughs) Uh, Ananias and Sapphira. You know, A.W. Tozer, (laughs) took you a little bit to get there, that's all right. 
A.W. Tozer used to say about subtractions like that, he called them blessed subtractions. So, uh, the one part of math that God does not do is division. That's the job of the devil. Uh, God hates seven things. One of them, it says in Proverbs, is somebody who causes division among brothers and sisters. I always try to watch out for that. And so here's a real, uh, gosh, a real potential nightmare brewing here with the split possibility. Uh, Jay Stapleton planted Calvary Chapel Petaluma, and they started with 12 people. Uh, just a real favorite guy of mine. And he, his favorite proverb was, where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. Now, let me explain that to you. It's nice to have clean stalls if you don't mind an empty church, but when the pews are filled with great potential and productivity, there's also a lot of messes to clean up. Amen? <laughs> Hello, <laughs> just checking. Yeah, well, here's the mess. Wow, we're here. Let's look at it. Potentially a church splitter. Uh, the church is a mega church. The needs are arising. Judaism really took care of the widows, and so the church just picked up right up there. Now, there are Christian widows in the church. There's no social security programs, so it's the church's responsibility. Uh, church widows in this church come in two varieties. One, the homegrown Jewish uh, Hebrew widow. She grew up in Jerusalem. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Hebrew. We don't need the international language of the Mediterranean, of the Roman Empire, of Greek. We speak the blessed mother tongue of Aramaic, which turns into Hebrew. We're real Jews lived here all our lives. We eat kosher, we live kosher, we speak Hebrew, please, oy vey. Number two, we've got the other kind, the imported Jews in every way. Every blood cell is related to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are Jews. But because of the diaspora, wartime scattering for generations, these folks lived in other nations, all part of the world. But they're Jews. They kept the Passover, they kept all the holidays, they lost their Hebrew. They learned their mother tongues. And their kids and their kids, you know, maybe a few of them could speak a little Hebrew, but by and large, they're Greek speakers with Greek customs, with open minds. They're Jews, and they come back to Israel, and guess what? They're kind of second-class citizens now. You know what? You can't even say, say the ABCs in Hebrew? What kind of Jew are you? No, that's kind of the attitude. And they look down on the Hebrew Jews as being holier than thou, the purest. Oh, you're the real thing. God loves you guys more than us because you speak Hebrew and you live in Jerusalem. And we, we're from Alexandria and we can speak Greek and we went to Greek-speaking schools and colleges and we're educated. Oh, sorry, right? So that's what's going on there. You know, I felt a little bit of that. I was, we were in JFK, we were heading to Israel, we were in a restaurant, Adam and I started talking to a guy who had a guitar, and we were, it was a friendly, warm conversation, and then the flight was boarding, and we went to the gate, and it was like being in Israel, going to Tel Aviv. I mean, the, the clothes and the Hebrew speaking, and it was really neat. And that guy saw me, and he's going to Israel, and he came up to me and he said, 
oh, I thought so. Just by looking at my face, maybe, you know, he said I look like a rabbi. So <laughs> I'm not a rabbi. <laughs> so he says, in Hebrew to me. And I went, oh, sorry, he goes, figures. He goes, you're not a Jew. That kind of attitude. Walked away, very rude, walked away. And I said, yes, I am, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, you know last name is Reinman. Come on, man. You know, look at this nose. Seriously. You don't, you don't speak Hebrew. You're not one of us. Speak English. You're like the Gentiles. That's what was going on. And so here you go, you've got the murmuring. Now, it says that they were murmuring. That's a bad word in the Greek because it goes back to the Hebrew murmuring. So it's not like they were saying, hey, listen, guys, we got a little bit of problem. Can we have lunch? We'll talk about it. Okay, see, there was some oversight. We know we probably didn't mean it, but yeah, no. Murmuring, here's how it's defined in the concordance there, the lexicon. A secret displeasure not openly avowed. Let me put that in another way. Something that bugs you about the place, but you express your irritation quietly on the side to others to garner support for your irritated position. Murmur, it's an ugly word in the Greek, gongusmos, mean-spirited whispering, subtle accusations, little jabs. So the Greek-speaking slighted Hebrew widows and their kin were doing that kind of thing. And it kind of got to a place where the apostles needed to deal with it. Now, murmuring. As a church grows, you get a lot of murmuring in churches that are growing, especially if the growth is transfer from another church. And so pastors talk about this at conferences all the time. It's kind of funny. Uh, Well, you you know, you have people coming from another church to a new church, and they like this, uh, but they don't like that. And they don't like that, but they like this. And they love this, but they don't like that. And so they come and they settle in, and then they try to change the church to become a little bit like what they're used to or what they want it to be. So one guy said uh, at a conference, I'd like to post a sign in the church lobby to all transfer growth people. Uh, Notice, you've left your old church And you're in a new church now with a new pastor and a different philosophy of ministry. Welcome. (laughs) I didn't think that would go over very well. So there's no signs out there. The complaint, our widows receive less food. They're getting leftovers. Their widows are served first. Oh, look at the portions the Hebrews get. Uh, Yeah, because who's in charge? 12 Hebrew guys. Hello, Uh, they get way better service. They get to sit by the window. Ours get to sit in the back, something like that. Okay, was it real or imagined? Uh, Both. In a church that size, people are gonna get overlooked and the apostles are already doing it wrong. They're spreading themselves too thin. So somebody got their feelings hurt and somebody was overlooked. Uh, Was it malicious? Uh, Who knows? Maybe. But does it matter? Satan doesn't mind. He's going to come in and say, I couldn't get him through Ananias, through uh, Annas and Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. I couldn't make those threats stick. I couldn't get him through Annas, uh, Ananias and Sapphira, all these biblical names. <laughs> but you know what? We're going to blow this thing up with the grandma wars. All right? 
we're going to just split this sucker right down the middle, and you're going to have mad people everywhere. Can you imagine going to a church where all the ladies are mad at each other? Oh, dear Lord Jesus, save us all. (laughs) I'm sorry, but that's exactly what I thought first. I just thought, dear Lord, help us. (laughs) All right. um, Somebody, I read this, Reader's Digest, whatever. A woman was known for never having a bad word to say about anybody. Nothing negative about anybody. And so... uh, Out of curiosity, they brought up the devil in conversation to her to see what she would have to say. And she said, she paused and she thought, and she said, you know, you got to say this. He never gives up. (laughs) (laughs) And there he is again. And can you just see it? Oh, my word, you know. You guys are not feeding my grandma. Well, have you taken a look at your grandma? Does she need to be fed anymore? (laughs) I'm sorry. You don't think that, listen, ladies, it wasn't the ladies who were the problem. It was the sons and the grandsons who felt the offense and took it up, and they started poisoning that place with murmuring, innuendo, sarcasm, and little jabs, you know. They're all Hebrews, yeah. Oh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all of that. Oh, pass the mashed potatoes, whatever. All, all for them. They're all fat anyway. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> so the church comes up with a solution. All right. So we're already on point three in case you're afraid I'm not going to get to the text. <laughs> <laughs> the leadership gets wind. And of course, the leadership always gets wind. Just God just allows that to happen. And uh, they get wind of it, and they decide, let's put our heads together. Verse 2 says that the 12 take action. And so church problems of church growth are great opportunities to reassess. What are we doing wrong? What do we need to do right? So now they come to the conclusion, we're the problem. We can't do everything ourselves. Uh, By serving the tables and trying to do everything, we're neglecting prayer and the ministry of the word of God. Your text says it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables, or it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Very interesting. Want you to note this. Don't miss this. In verse 1, the word for distribution of the food And in verse 4, the ministry of the word of God, same word where we get deacon, diakonos. So the administration of the physical feeding and the administration where we get the word ministry, administration, the ministry of the word of God, the spiritual food, is the same word and it's the same value. And it's the same worth in heaven's eyes. Whether you're working in the kitchen for God because that's the place that you shine or whether you're behind this box. Somebody told me the other day, Pastor Ross, I'd rather be dead than stand up behind that box on Sunday morning. And I said, I know how you feel. (laughs) Sometimes I wake up on Sunday and I I think, oh, dear Lord, call me home, please. (laughs) Or if only the rapture could happen, like right now, that would be awesome. But you know what? What I could do, I fix things. I'm a plumber. I I love to fix things. You got anything around here that is broken? Yeah, we do. That's called diakonos. It's called serving. 
It's called using your gifts and your abilities. You don't fit here. You're not supposed to fit here. And, and perhaps I'm not supposed to fit with a wrench in my hand. Amen? <laughs> it just doesn't work. I really try. I get lefty, loosey, righty, tighty, right? Yeah, see? I know stuff. <laughs> so what do they do? They say it's not right. Pastor can't do everything. I used to tell my seminary students that they're at Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary. I say, fight, fight for your life to teach the word of God. 20 hours for minimal for a Sunday morning sermon. 30 hours a week in study at least on top of everything else. You have to do that. And I would say, number one, it's the right thing to do because the primacy role of the poiman in Greek is shepherd, feeder. That's what the word means. Do you love me, Peter? I got one sentence for you. Keep this in mind. Look at me. I'm God in the flesh. Burn this into your soul. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Lord, you're, you're hurting my feelings, man. Well, I'm trying to make a point, Peter, so you'll never forget it. Show me you love me by fulfilling your call to feed my sheep. That's what the word pastor means. That's what a pastor has to do. When he's doing all the other stuff, I love this church. I'm able to spend that time because there are a lot of people who diakonos, who serve, and that word means to wait tables, who make it possible. Listen, when you're preaching the word of God to a church, there's life. People, uh, somebody said, malnourished sheep get diseases when they don't get the word of God. Like rabies, they foam at the mouth, they're irritable, and start biting each other. (laughs) Well, that happens. Why? If you get topical studies about how to be a better person and how to turn lemons into lemonade or whatever that, however that goes, and illustration after illustration with no meat, no word of God, You can't live the Christian life. You can't fight your temptations. Your marriage is not going to be strengthened. Your besetting sins will overcome you when you've got the word of God on you, in your soul. You're marinating in it. You're inspired to give, to be, to love, to use your gifts, to contribute. When you receive, you want to give back. But you're sitting in a church and you're getting nothing, nothing but leftovers and dust and dirt and, uh, and debris. And you leave more confused and empty and frustrated than when you came into a church. Nobody wants to give in the offering when you're not getting and feeling life. Feed them the word of God. Use the word of God at the table, at Thanksgiving, when you're witnessing and sharing. It's the word of God that brings life. And that's what they were called to do, and they were forgetting to do it. Now, David Guzik, love him. Here's what he says. A pastor shouldn't have to spend his time consumed in tasks that are essentially serving tables, yet there is something really wrong with a pastor who considers some tasks beneath him. There's nothing beneath a servant. Jesus, the Son of God, gets up from the table and washes dirty feet, and he says, follow my example. You'll be happy. He said, you'll be blessed. Do the job that no one else wants to do. But he does have callings that we can't run from. You know, I can't, I can't run from this. I can't, if you put me anywhere else, I'm going to end up doing this and get fired. <laughs> because I'm not doing my job. I'm supposed to be doing this. And so 
It's a great team here at The Rock because there's liberty to spend 30 hours a week studying and preparing and praying and reflecting and all of that. Okay, so I love the apostles are smart. They're solving the problem. What do they do? They delegate. They're saying, hey, to a larger group of disciples, you guys come up with some guys. We're going to give you some guidelines. We want them to be a good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and full of wisdom. And so they, number one, you kind of miss it in the English, but it's there. King James catches it. They got to be, if you want to work with the grandmas in the kitchen, you got to be, you got to, we got to know you. You got to be known for a good reputation. Um, do not put strangers in charge of anything over God's people for whom Christ Jesus, our Lord, shed his blood. You got to know them. It's a big deal for us here. A lot of times people come in and they'll say, I want to teach a Bible study. I don't know you. Can you hang out for six months, a year? Let's get to know each other. Well, no, I'll I'll send you letters. You can go online and look at this and that. Sir, I want to get to know you. I, I want the church. I want you to get a feel for who we are. And we want to see you live your life in front of us. Highs, lows, mediums. I cannot tell you, I wish I, I had a lower number to say a lot of people have left. And they don't just leave. They leave angry because they were denied using their gifts. Listen, you can use your gifts all you want. We just have to know you. And a couple other things here. It says, full of the Holy Spirit. I just want to help in the kitchen. I want to help with the little old ladies. We want you full of the Holy Spirit. Remember D.L. Moody's comment? Not about having more of God. It's about God having more of you, right? I, I love that. Sold out, saved through and through, that you are who you are in church and at home. And did you ever notice the fruit of the Holy Spirit ought to give us a heads up that he's giving us these abilities because there's going to be trouble? Did you ever think of it that way? (laughs) You're going to need these if you're going to serve me. Love. Yeah. Uh, Joy. Peace. Long-suffering ought to really uh, get our attention. Long-suffering because you're going to need it. You're going to serve me with my people. Gentleness, goodness, self-control. All things that should tell us there's going to be some work. We're going to have some issues and we're going to need him. Now, you know what? (laughs) That's where life happens. Serving the tables, fixing things, preparing things at the barbecue. That's where you need the presence of the Holy Spirit, but that's not all. You need wisdom. I just want to work in the kitchen, man. We're not going to have a good reputation. You've got to know me for six months. Uh, you want me full of the Holy Spirit under his full control and wisdom? Yeah, you're going to have wisdom because we don't want you just reading your Bible and being off in the clouds. We want you to have the common sense, too. That's what it is. Not that you're more uh, so spiritually heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. That's the sense of it. You should be a godly spiritual person, but grounded in practical ways so that when the grandmas are murmuring, you'll know how, listen, you'll have the wisdom to de-escalate. You'll have the knowledge to know what will make this stop and go away. You'll have the understanding and the discernment to make things better. Some people are just not good at that. They're very spiritual, but they're not very practically wise. And so if you're going to be a deacon in their church, you're going to need to be practically wise. 
Now, that's just astounding for those qualifications if you just want to manage food boxes and lunch lines with older ladies and setting up tables and cleaning up and doing dishes. But that's it. The second you pick up a dish in Jesus' name, you represent the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's why. The second you pick up a scrap in the parking lot as you're doing this for the church at the Rock, you're representing him, you're representing me, the leaders, the elders, the deacons, and everything about Christian ministry on you. That is why you need to have a good reputation. You need to be full of the Holy Spirit. And what was the third one? And wise. And wise. Because there's a link there. God bless the guys with discernment. The second group. And they come back and they say, we got the guys. Oh, this is great. I love this. Okay. And listen to the ethnicities. They're not seven of these names. Yeah, we picked Aaron, Noah, Jacob, Joshua, David, Michael, and Daniel. All Hebrews. (laughs) No. Who are they? Number one, Stephen, Greek. Two, Philip, Greek. Three, Prochorus, Greek. Four, Nicanor, Greek. Five, Timon. Greek. Six, Parmenas, Greek. Seven, Nicholas, Greek. All Greek? It's all Greek to me? Oh. (laughs) Not one Hebrew? You couldn't split it? 3.5? Well, you couldn't do that. You couldn't split the group three and four? How about one token Hebrew, guys, you know? We want to honor you, but we don't want you to take over the place. The widows? And the sons, the moms, and the grandsons felt slighted. Now they hear, hey, these are the men who are going to watch out over you. Here are their names. Greek, 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 Greek. They're like, you kidding me? You put, you put Greek speakers, our, our family, our, our friends, over the whole thing. Yeah, we're sorry. This way, there's going to, you know what? If they did split the group, There's another opportunity for that whole partisan thing to happen again. This way, you know, they're vulnerable. Yeah, they're vulnerable. They could say, you know what? We're going to show you. We're going to show you how it feels. Hebrews, sorry. (laughs) But they don't do that. You never hear. Now, here comes the public announcement. Yeah, public announcement. (laughs) You just want to work in the kitchen of public announcement. Presenting them. The elders will have the final say. They bring them. They lay hands on them in verse 6. Now, why do they lay hands on them publicly like that? Did you ever wonder, why do we do that? Well, it's an Old Testament thing that goes into the New Testament. Number one reason is identifying with them. So they're saying, these guys are an extension of our ministry and of us. So we approve. We've checked them out. We had qualifications given by the Lord, one, two, and three. We agree. We know them. They're full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We identify. See, where did that come from? When they would put their hands on the sacrifice, they identified with that sacrifice. That sacrifice was them. Number two, it conferred a blessing. So when they put their hands and laid hands on somebody officially, like uh, Jacob laid his hands on his boys, on their heads, and blessed them. So it would confer a blessing. It meant identifying and affirming with the people. Uh, And it also was a way to set people apart to consecrate them. In Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas are getting ready to go on a missions trip, and that church calls them together, and they lay hands on them. 
Now, we know it's to identify them because in 1 Timothy, I believe it's chapter 5, Paul tells Timothy, uh, don't lay hands on anyone too hastily. Some men's sins are subtle, lest you partake in their sins. Do you see? So I got a guy. He says, hey, I want to teach a Bible study. I want to do this. Okay, we're going to call you up. We're going to let you do that. We don't really know you, but you look, everything looks good. We called a couple people, yeah, whatever. And we lay hands on them. The Bible says you've identified with them and you didn't know about X, Y, and Z. So Paul tells Timothy to turn that phone down (laughs) and uh, and to just use the internet more. (laughs) So Paul tells Timothy, watch out. Get to know them and make sure that you're not identifying too fast. So in closing, uh, happy ending, isn't it? I mean, widows are properly cared for. Instead of feeling slighted, they feel honored. Pastors are now preparing and teaching and praying, which caused the growth in the first place. Uh, Women felt protected and cared about. I want Somebody mentioned this to me. She said that that's an important thing about the rock, that women feel protected. And that stuck in my head because we make an effort about that. That's a big deal to us. Um, I got a letter from a pastor once that said, uh, an email, hey, I heard so-and-so is attending your church. And I want to tell you, there's a liability with women. There's danger, danger. I called that person in, talked to them, told them about the email, explained this. If you're to be in our fellowship, all the elders will know. You need to go back to the pastor and deal with this. Or if you're going to come to our church, we're not going to put an armed guard at the door, but we are going to tell you that the elders and the deacons and everybody will know about you and, you, and you're not to speak to any women. You're not no relationship with women in our congregation. And so he just left, mad. That's my job. That's my job before God, is to protect what God has blessed me to care about, right? And so women felt, man, look at these guys. Seven Greek speakers, man, you love us. You're taking care of us. And uh, it just causes a sense of security and safety. Knowing that people are looking out and uh, doing their job. Uh, Hebrews, uh, they felt accommodating. They felt like, yeah, we did let you have seven Greek guys because we feel bad about it. And so everybody's happy. The only one's not happy who's got a fat indigestion is the devil because... <laughs> He took, a, he took a look at that happy scene. It's like, what? Again, used for good. And then what is that crazy verse at the end? And then the church took off like crazy and, and increased rapidly. Because there was a problem addressed correctly, reevaluation, kind of repentance, a little bit. Hey, this isn't right. Doing something wrong. And then everybody who has a gift and or ability or desire can have a place and a role. That's just a beautiful thing. So just like with the resolve on those shows, the packagers are packaging, the cooks are flipping, the pans and everything sizzling, and the maintenance guys maintaining. It's just really happy. So in the church, you've got teachers who are teaching, greeters who are greeting, uh, barbecue guys out there hospitality crew waiting to serve you um, because they love that. They shine. That's their deal. Uh, Relational gifts. The encouragers are encouraging. The merciful are showing mercy. The servers are serving. Where do you fit in this? 
The speakers are speaking. The discerning are discerning. The wise and the knowledgeable and, and the wise are imparting that wisdom. Missionaries are being sent in support. Evangelists are preaching. Pastors are preparing and praying. The givers are giving. I'm just going down the list of spiritual gifts, and do you think that that, that list was exhaustive? No. That's a for example. If you can have mercy as a spiritual gift, my friends, there are a lot of spiritual gifts that are not listed there. Mercy, showing mercy, being an encourager. You say, I don't have any gifts. Are you good at encouraging people? <laughs> You're always lifting people up, sending cards, and always seeing the positive, and that's a gift. What are you good at? What do you love? What makes you feel alive as it concerns the, the edification of the group of Christ followers. Those are the things to look for. And if you ever felt like, hey, I'd like to get involved, it's so easy to get involved here. As the church grows, there's always something to do, always. If you came up to me today and said, hey, I'd like to help in some way, there'd be something for you to do. And uh, how blessed are these two guys, uh, Philip and Stephen, out of the seven? Because they're going to start doing what nobody really wants to do, just work in the kitchen with, with uh, some older women. Sorry, but that's what they're doing. It's something that's in the background. But what's going to happen? These two guys are going to become Bible heroes, preaching sermons, the first martyr and the first missionary of the church. Starting little, God doing more than you could ask or think. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for just the wonderful insight of your word. Just a, just a simple incident, a big problem, and how they handled it and how it could have gone and all of the things that we see that can apply to our own lives in this church family. We ask for your blessing now to apply these truths and understand them. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Closing song. Well, let's stay organized like our early church model ebbing and flowing within that structure with life, addressing our growing pains, and we do have them, uh, each one of us finding our part to play and bless the church. As far as the organized church, you know what? She done pretty well. She done pretty well. The world evangelized from the 1500s, 1600s. Bibles and tracks, the gospel translated into thousands of languages. Who did that? The Holy Spirit through who? The local church, the organized church who sent missionaries all over the world, hospitals all over the world, rescue missions all over the world, benevolence, colleges, education, humanitarian aid, Salvation Army, who funded all of that? Who sent them? Who supported the organized local church for hundreds of years? We got our problems. We got our little rituals and our weirdnesses and our legalistic ways. But the Lord has used the organized church and I'm really glad to be a part of one, a local church where the Holy Spirit is alive and changing lives. Amen? Amen. Father God, we thank you for our church family. 
We know, Lord, we got problems and we don't do everything perfectly. We confess that to you. Help us to be more and more productive for you as each person does their part. Lord, help us to continue to to have a good reputation, to be full of the Holy Spirit and to be wise. Lord, because in some ways we're all called to be servants of the Lord. We thank you for this greatest opportunity ever and privilege to be called by your name and to serve the living God and the cause of Christ in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't forget about the barbecue. Don't forget about the prayer at the cross. Don't forget about Wednesday night and next Sunday. God bless you.